Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. I'm super excited to announce our guest today. We have the one and only Rochelle Hariri, who, if you do not yet know her, you will be a big fan like I am after today. She's a marketing and strategy consultant, a fractional CMO at many companies, executive advisor to several brands as well, B2B and B2C extraordinaire. And she's the host of a She's Interesting podcast, which I'm a new listener of. Highly recommend everyone check out. Thank you for coming, Rochelle. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on your show. I love the work that you're doing to share the B2B practice, to share marketing, to elevate women's voices. I think it's fantastic. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Likewise, likewise. I love to start off almost every episode with how you got to where you are today, how you first got into marketing and how you got to your path and your position where you are now. Absolutely. So marketing is just something I've always been interested in. And when I was younger, I remember there was like a mo- movies in the nineties were really obsessed with advertising agencies for some reason. Yes. Yes. And growing up and watching, there was a movie with Jennifer Aniston where she was an ad exec or something. And she wore these cute outfits and her job seemed fun. And she lived in New York. And I was like, Oh, that's going to be me. I'm moving. Is that 13 going on 30? No, no, no. This was with Jennifer Aniston. Is it a different one? Yeah. Okay. Different Jennifer. I forgot. I forgot the name, but I'll send it to you after because it's, I might actually go watch it again this weekend. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Spark something in me. I've always been someone who's very creative, but also very business driven. And it felt like the Mm -hmm. perfect combination or the marriage of the two of the things that I liked. And so that's just from a young age, I knew that I was going to go down either advertising or marketing path. And that's what I did. Like even in high school, I was focused on, I'm going to do something business related in university. I started studied marketing and communications And then once I graduated, I just started working in the field. And so it's, it's always been something that I've been interested in. And even like to get to where I am today, which is working for myself, I grew up with a father who was an entrepreneur and he passed away when I was really young. So I would hear all the stories about the business that he created. He had an elevator company and that's, that kind of drove me that I was like, one day I should do my own thing. I felt like it was part of my dreams and it was in my family and I should do it. I love that. I'm sorry about your father, but I'm glad that he was able to inspire you so much with his life and passions and what he created in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. That kind of exposure at such a young age of possibilities and things, Mm -hmm. seeing people succeed or, or even not succeed, right. And various, just putting things out there and creating must be such a big jumpstart. So I feel like so many don't even see this, right? Or know until you get out into the real world post-college and you're like, oh, there's a million different opportunities out there, career paths and entrepreneurship. Absolutely. I think also it it takes time, right? Like as you're growing in your career, growing as a person, building your skill set, 
connecting with different people and networking, you you learn more and more about, to your point, the possibilities in the world. And do I want to work in a corporate job? Do I want to work for myself? And yeah. I, I think it also comes down to, at the core, what you need as an individual. I worked for a lot of really great companies. I worked for McDonald's. I worked for ING Direct, yes. which became Tangerine Bank. I worked for Shopify. And these companies at the time provided me with the learning and the playground that I needed. So they enabled me to be an entrepreneur, as some people say, where within the company, they let you experiment and test and do these things. Cause I don't think at that time I had built the credibility. I was new in my career. I don't think that I had experimented enough and I really needed these companies to work with and to learn from. And it was like such a fantastic experience. And so I always say that for everyone too. I know we're focused on B2B marketing, but I think from like going off and doing your own thing, use your current role as a way to experiment and teach yourself and learn so that if you ever do want to do something entrepreneurial or start a side hustle or experiment, you have a playground and it's a safe space and a secure space for you to do that. It's really scary, especially with the economy now for anyone who's quitting their job and taking a leap and, and starting from scratch. You want to make sure that you're doing it at the right time as well. Timing is everything. Yes. There's so many things I want to dive into from what you just shared. (laughs) So first, when did you decide that you wanted to leave the quote unquote corporate world, the nine to five world and, and start your own business? So I'd always had that desire, right? Like I was like one day and I kept like getting close. And then I was like, no, I'm not ready. Yeah. But I'd say it was probably like many people, COVID is what did it for me. Mm, yeah. And also I worked at Shopify, which was a very entrepreneur focused company. It was all about helping people start businesses yeah. and being in that environment, I think was the, the last thing I needed to sort of push me to want to go out on my own. And I was at Shopify and COVID had happened and I, it made me reflect a lot on what I wanted to do and what I was excited about. And what I realized was I just wasn't excited to go to my laptop anymore. I wasn't excited. I needed more. And Shopify at the time had grown to over 10,000 employees. And I was used to, I mean, considering I came from McDonald's and other companies, I was still considered used to working at smaller scale companies. Like McDonald's in Canada was, I think about 500 employees. Shopify had scaled 10,000. And so I felt like I wanted direct access to the decision makers and the visionaries. And because the company was growing like this, I realized my happy place is working with founders and working with people that are Mm. mission driven. And so while I was at Shopify, I started reflecting, I created my exit plan of what am I going to do when I leave? How will I start my business? And really it just got to a point where I was like, now or never, if I don't do it now, I'm going to end up doing it five years from now. So I might as well start. Yes. I heard you speak about this. I think on one of your episodes, your podcast episodes is you, while you were at Shopify, like you just said, you started building this kind of side hustle or plan, right? Your exit plan, you just called Mm -hmm. it. Is this what you recommend for people? So while if they know that what they're doing right now, isn't their end goal, they want something more bigger to kind of stick with it while they start planting the seeds and getting an idea together and then jumping once they have this kind of secure plan, as secure as it can be. Yeah, for sure. I think it really comes down to the financials for me because I'm I'm very much about security. And if you have the financial security and the ability to quit your job tomorrow and know that for the next year you're you're covered, you have savings, you have your FU money as I call it, and you're gonna be good, then okay, maybe, maybe that's the route for you. But I'm someone who's always a bit more cautious when it comes to the financials. And so I wanted to make sure that 
I had enough savings that I had the conversation with my partner that he was comfortable with me stepping away from a high paying tech salary to, to do this on my own. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of different factors that you need to consider, which is your money. Do you have a plan of, of action? How long do you think it'll take you to get things up and running? And how long can you sustain yourself? I definitely recommend you know, the, the side hustle way of doing things before you take that leap, if you can. But I understand that sometimes people are just completely burnt out in their jobs and they don't feel yeah. like they are flourishing in the environment that they're in. And if that's the case and you can financially support yourself, then for sure, start putting it out there, make your exit plan. But I recommend always making sure your financials are in order before you quit your job. Yeah. Good call. I wonder how did you identify another couple things I want to discuss. So one is the term side hustle, right? Because I always feel like I need to put in quotation marks when I say it because it has kind of, a, right? It has this negative connotation, I guess, to it. Also, I feel like there's no other term for or a passion project. I call this podcast sometimes, but even that feels like I'm belittling it when it really is so much more to me. Mm-hmm. So we need to come up with a third, like a new know. term for these things. Yeah, I think it should but, be like, I, you know what it is? I think it's just for me, I don't like the term hustle. And I, yeah, I feel exactly. like it's, it's, it's not a hustle. It's, it's something that you're creating. It's something that you're building. It's a project. It's a business. Building. And so I, I don't know, I don't know what to call it yet. Maybe we'll figure it out by the end of this episode, but the, the term yeah. hustle just bothers me. <laughs> Same. Yeah, leave and it I alone. can't Maybe. put a finger on why. I think it's also cause it's, it has this like, to me, like this very aggressive tone of like, you're, it's a hustle and you're grinding it out. And like, It's it's not, it's something that I really enjoy doing. It's an enjoyment project. It's an enjoyment business. (laughs) True. Like a hustle. It doesn't feel like work if you love it. Yes, exactly. Maybe I feel like when I, when I think of hustle, this could also be for both of us, because we're both trying to kind of shine light on more women. Right. Mm -hmm. I think of men, I picture like men in suits, white men in suits, (laughs) just like grinding away like late at night. Right. And that is what I picture with hustle. So maybe that's why I'm kind of like, it gives me a little eye twitch, but yeah, it's, we're both working on something that is kind of gives us purpose, I guess. Like yeah. it's our passion, something we're excited about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, building. We'll come up with another term here. Sure. <laughs> but speaking of purpose, actually, how did you discover what you wanted to be your next mission, your next project, or what your purpose was to jump into next mm-hmm. while you were kind of building this plan? Where did you begin? Yeah. I, whenever I'm feeling stuck and I have a podcast episode on this as well. I did my, um, it's a Japanese concept. It's called Ikigai, which I'm probably not saying it properly, but it basically puts a mirror up to yourself and you write down what you're good at, what you think you can make money on and what the world needs. And so there's these four different compartments that you fill out and you really have to be honest with yourself about your skill set, what your passions are, what you're happy to do. And that helped me because I, it also helped me realize why I was feeling stuck and what I was missing in my current yeah. environment that I didn't feel very fulfilled. And I also think, you know, every couple of years we go through cycles as humans, you don't want to do the same type of work over and over again. I mean, maybe some people do, if you're like yeah. an accountant or you know lawyers, they do a lot of the same type of like litigation work or accounting season. That's fine. Yeah. But I think when you're more of a creative and you're in the marketing space, after a couple of years, you start to get the itch and say, well, what am I doing next? How do I continue to grow? And especially if you're someone who leads a life that's fulfilled when you are in a learning space, 
then it's, yeah. it's always good to do that reflection. And so that's what I did is I, I did my Ikigai. I took some time to just be quiet and still and think about what I wanted to do. I didn't want to rush into something because I'd had a really great career. I worked at top companies and top brands. And for me, it's, it's always like the next thing I want to do. I want to push myself to the next level. I don't want to just have something that I, I feel personally would be like a mediocre step for me. I want to be like challenging myself. And so yeah. at that point I realized internally, there wasn't anything else that I wanted to do. I looked around at other departments and I thought it's going to be same, same. And I'm, I'm not excited. Yeah. If I'm not excited. I'm not going to go for it. And so when I realized, you know, working at Shopify on the ecosystem side, working with a lot of the app founders and speaking to them, those were the days and the meetings that I was the most excited. Like I was leaning yeah. into my computer. I was taking notes. I was Googling things after I was researching and I felt like uh, that was my happy space. And so that's how I yes. made the decision. I was like, I need to work with these people. These people want to yes. it. Like they get me excited. I want to get out of bed and go on my laptop, not just like yeah. being another worker for a large company. Love that. So finding what gives you joy and like lights you up mm -hmm. at your current company or at previous positions, like looking back and finding out, just thinking through what made you happiest and excited and motivated to go research, right? Yeah. It's like, what do I want to do more of? And then sort of follow that path, but making sure that it's a path that, you know, will help you pay your bills <laughs> because yeah. I also love <laughs> art and painting, but I'm not good enough to yeah. sell anything. So that, that was not going to pay my bills, but career wise, I, I always say, think about like, be very logical about it, but also follow mm -hmm. that joy. Yeah. I love that. And Hey, you never know with art now with the online market. <laughs> I have a, someone on my team. She's a product marketer. She's wonderful. She just joined, but she does, she creates pottery and ceramics on the side. Oh yeah. And it's for fun. She just learned and she's sold out at a flea market near, but like all of her stuff sold. So, Hey, yeah, you, it's true. Could you be another know. side thing. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. You never know. So you run several businesses, you're a marketing consultant, you help all of these founders with their, mm -hmm. their marketing, you host, and you just launched this amazing podcast with this huge launch, everything. How do you juggle all of this? Cause I know I struggle with this myself and I don't know if I have an answer, but how do you just yeah. make this all happen and keep everything up in the air? Well, I think a lot of the times I also feel like am I spending time on the right things? And that's often what I try to remind myself is, is, am I focusing on the right things today? Which can be really hard because when you have so many things that you're juggling at the same time, it honestly can feel very overwhelming. I'm not one, I'm very transparent yeah. about how I work. I'm not one to pretend like everything's peachy and, and life is great. No, there's, there's challenging times. There's days where I'm like, wow, I need to get five things done. I absolutely need to finish these five things today. How am I possibly yeah. going to do it? How am I going to rearrange my schedule? Re book my meetings to make sure that I get my priorities yeah. done. It's just a matter of how things happen. But I also find that there's different seasons, especially in, in my work. So as I was yeah. focusing on the podcast and wanting to get that up and running, I made a conscious decision to slow down on some of my consulting work because I knew that it wouldn't be fair to she's interesting. And I wanted to launch it. And like you said, make a big bang, have a launch party, get these incredible yeah. voices and women on the podcast. And for me to focus on doing that on a new venture, I needed to spend time. And I also knew that having clients and not being able to give them the level of service and support that I'm used to would not make me feel good about what I'm doing. And so it was a conscious effort yeah. to say, this is how I'm going to juggle it. The, the scales are going to go like this a little bit where I'll focus more on the podcast, 
less on consulting as the podcast becomes something that's habitual to me and and I have a better process and I understand how I want to run it, things will balance out. And I feel like now I'm, I'm getting close to the end of season one. We have about three more episodes to go. And even it's still chaotic. Like having a podcast is chaos. It's like constant constant work. It never stops. And so I've learned a tremendous amount. I was so excited to do this and I still am. And I've learned a lot and I'm going to take these learnings and use them for season two when I launch next year. But you know, things are starting to balance out again. I'm I'm starting to do more client work again because I kind of have a handle on the podcast piece. So that that's, I mean, like my long way of answering your question, which is it's never going to be perfect. It's kind of like that fallacy that you can have it all. I really feel like you can't have it all. And also I don't want to have it all. I want to have some things when I want to have them during that time. (laughs) And so that's how I feel. Exactly. And what is it all, right? Because that's different for every person, like having it all, what is your picture of it all? So, and then ebbs and flows, right? So when you spend more time with family or your loved ones, then the work comes back down. And then the next few days, you're going to be all in on work and less time with family. It's just this constant Mm -hmm. up and down. Absolutely. There's I know everyone talks about like, there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's work-life integration. I hear that a lot more. Do you kind of feel that with only it's, it's kind of with you, I picture it's all of your projects integration, right? And, and life. (laughs) Absolutely. I think when it comes to work and life, the important things are to be able to also communicate. If you're in a relationship with someone, communicate for men and women, and just, you need to communicate to your partner hey, this next season is going to be my busy season. I am going to be heads down. I'm probably going to be working long hours. We need to find ways to communicate. This is really fulfilling to me. And this is how I'm going to be living my life for the next three months. You know, buckle up. We're doing this together. But I think that also helps you to continue to focus on your work and not feel guilty that you don't have it all and that you can't have it all because you've already set that expectation for yourself and mentally you're prepared that, okay, for the next three months, I'm probably not going to see my friends as much. I won't be doing as many brunches or dinners because I'm going to be focused, but that's the time that I need to sort of like do the thing. And then after that, we'll see how it goes. And that's, that's basically what I did for myself. I told everyone like, I'm going to be kind of busy. My, my texts might be kind of slow. I may not be able to meet up with you guys because I'm going to be spending time doing other things, but like I'm still around. I'll be back. Just, I need to figure things out and I need that clarity. I love that. It seems like two common themes I'm picking up so far from Mm -hmm. you is that you're very thoughtful in your steps and what you, what steps you take next and you communicate really well. So no one feels (laughs) like out in the dark. I I try And I think it's just, it's also like setting boundaries, right? I think everybody, you have to set boundaries for yourself, for the people in your life. And I'm very much like into personal development as well. So I try to weave that into all of my work as much as I can. Love that. So I want to dive into why you started the She's Interesting podcast. How did it come about? Why did you see a need? And what's your goal with this show? That again, I am a huge, huge fan of everyone. Go check this out. Thank you. Yeah. I wasn't finding what I I needed. I was looking online and as a marketer, you know, we're constantly critiquing content and what we're, I I don't just consume it like a regular consumer. I'm always like, "Mm, what's, how did, you know, I look at something and I say, how was this produced? What was the messaging? Why did they clip this? How did this come together? What are they trying to get the audience to do? And so a lot of the content I was exposed to 
I felt like didn't represent me as a woman of color in my mid thirties, who's married with no children and who's very focused on business money and well-being, which is what the podcast is about. Yeah. And I found that a lot of the content online was either men that are talking about business and money and all of these things. And they had a very different lens on life. They also have different experiences when it comes to building a business. They walk in the world and and they have a different response from people than, than women do. And I mean, it, yeah. it says a lot when you look at the data points and you know that venture capital funding, less than 1.8% is going to women. So that to me was like yeah. so obvious that there's differences and no one was talking about it. And so I wanted to create a community where women who are later in their careers, who are 30 plus could come together, share their advice about how they're living their life, how they're making money, how many streams of income they have, because these are the conversations we're having in WhatsApp groups and in these close communities with our friends. But not everybody has like an Arthi Sharma as their friend, who is an angel yeah. investor. She was one of Canada's top angel investors. They don't have access to these people. And so I wanted to make all of us in an equitable way, all women and, and men as well that listen to the podcast, 25% of my audience are men. And Love I it. want all of us to be able to learn more about how to support each other and how to support women in business. And how do we take up more space in a way that sounds good to us where it's not all about hustle culture. It's about how we want to work. Yes. I remember, I think in your, your latest episode, you were talking about how you tons of content in your feed is like the get ready with me. I feel like we should start a new thread. Like what is it? G R W M. Yeah. Like it's, Ugh, we have to get rid of the word hustle though. It's like yeah. grow with me or something. Yeah. Yeah, and like GWM, <laughs> get money with me. I love that yeah. new hashtag, everybody start sharing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Let's do like a get money with me series. And it's like just sitting there talking about how you're building your business. I love that. So more people can learn. That's such I, a good I idea. I love more of that content. I'm, I'm, I mean, listen, yes. I love passion and makeup just like anybody else, but I mean, it doesn't rule my world. It's just a part of it. Yeah. 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 How about while you're getting ready, you talk about tips of the week or or wins of the week and how you made more this week, et cetera. It's so true. Yeah. Because where I also love, it's funny. You mentioned to me like you, Mm -hmm. what is it? You want to talk about money, business and well-being and well-being. Mm -hmm. So it's like a visceral instant reaction for me when I hear someone say money, like it's like a, a negative, like, ooh. Okay. Can we talk about that? And I still feel that even though I'm so with you a hundred percent, like my mind is with you, but there's still this internal piece that's like, Oh, do we talk like, what do we talk about money? How much can we share about that? Like, it's so strange. I'm trying to break through that myself. So I love that that's your journey. Why do you think I feel this way? I'm sure others do too. And how do we get past that? Well, I think it's just, we haven't had the right systems in place and the right conversations with women about money. I even growing up, I've always had a lot of male friends that I would hang out with and I'd see the conversations they would have and the things that they would talk about, even at dinner parties with different couples. I'm often like sitting next to the guys and be like, so what are we investing in? (laughs) Yeah, because I I think it's interesting and they're so open about it. And it's just, I think it's just part of, you know, as society, we have micro cultures and the culture within men is that they are competitive with each other. They talk about money. They talk about what they're investing in. And then when I would like go to the the part of the dinner party with all the ladies that were hanging out, they were talking about completely different things. Like sure, they were still talking about work and they're talking about the news and a lot of intellectual conversations, but 
I don't think women are encouraged to talk about money as much. And so I love when I see different money influencers online and different women just openly talking about these things, because I think then when you can see yourself reflected online, it makes you more comfortable to talk about these things. Yes. So you're making me think of, um, I hope I have her name correct, but Tori Dunlap, but her first 100K, if you follow her, all about like, yeah, yes. Like making finance just accessible for everybody, but she specifically speaks to women to kind of break through this mold. And it, it definitely gets me thinking about more investment. Cause you're right. Like I don't, I'm not exposed to that. My husband talks about investing and it kind of my like eyes glaze over and I need to get past that and I need to get into it. So yeah, these baby steps, but I Mm -hmm. love that. What do you think we should be talking about when it comes to money, like amongst each other? Like, Mm -hmm. is it awareness is the first step? So sharing salaries and knowing what's the norm, Mm -hmm. knowing or research or talking about investments, testing it out, maybe having accountability buddies. It's like, where do we begin to help each other? Just what's the word, like a flywheel effect with our friends and our our female friends. I think the the easiest way to start talking about it is sharing what you're investing in and asking other people what they're investing in, especially with the current state of the economy. Like every so often I'll drop into a WhatsApp chat with my friends and be like, Hey, what are you, what's everyone investing in these days? (laughs) What's your plan? What do you think is going to do well? Why are you focused on that? And so I think that's a good way to bridge the gap. I think when it comes to sharing salary, it's still something that people are very timid to talk about. And it could be because I think from in a lot of ways, people who are doing really well, don't want to make anybody else uncomfortable by sharing their salary. And I think if someone feels like they're not doing as well as their peers, then they don't want to share that because they don't want to feel less than. So I think when it comes to salary conversations, it can get a bit touchy. And I totally understand people wanting to keep that personal. But I think also talking about what you're investing in, that is a great place to start just sharing information. There's a lot of, for example, WhatsApp groups with male investors that there's like, And I know there's a bunch of them in Toronto. They're everywhere. And it's a a bunch of like ex-founders and investors and angel investors. And they're in a WhatsApp together. And they're like, hey, this is what I'm investing in. Who wants in? And they're very open with it. And my goal is to create that for women as well, where we can have that community and say like, hey, I actually have an investment opportunity. I've done the due diligence. This is where I think this could go. Who's in? This is the minimum to get in on on this investment. That, That would be a goal one day to get us there. Very cool. How do you find groups like this in these WhatsApp communities? I've heard of, like, I'm in a few different WhatsApp groups of just people, women women in marketing, right? Various groups there, but not investment groups and with founders. Where do these live? These often live among men. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, surprise. (laughs) I think it's just about, like like you said, like networking and putting yourself in those environments that you get invited into these groups. I often think also with investing, it's a bit different because they want to make sure that you've either had an exit or are at a certain level or, you know, that you're going to contribute to these conversations in a, in a really good way. And so that's why a lot of them are in these closed communities and groups. And and it is often hard to get into. Yeah. Makes sense. You have to add value to the group. You can't just kind of sit in there and, and pull. That makes sense. So I want to get back to marketing for Mm -hmm. a little bit. You went from, I know you were at McDonald's for quite a while and then Shopify. Mm -hmm. How do you feel the differences between 
B2B marketing and B2C marketing. Is there a difference? And what did you kind of apply from the B2C world into B2B? Yeah, I think at the, the core of everything, as a marketer, we're speaking to people. And so there are definitely, when it comes to execution and, and different tactics, what you're selling in your product shows up differently when you're speaking to directly to B2B versus B2C audience. But in the thread, yeah. the way that I always look at it is some of the foundations of marketing, which is you're talking to the consumer. You need to understand the consumer. You need to understand their pain points and why they would buy into either your product or service or your D2C product, let's say. Yeah. You're talking to a person at the end of the day and the consumer insights is the most valuable thing. I often find what's missing in the marketing space is B2B marketers sometimes lose track of the end user because they, in their mind have a list of, okay, we are reaching companies that are at this scale to this scale. And this is how we yeah. need to talk to them. But it's like, well, who's the actual decision maker at that company that you want to sign up for your product or your business or your service. And that, how do you talk to them? If I was to have a conversation with, you know, the VP of marketing and I have a marketing SaaS product, how would I pitch it to that person? How would I sell it to her versus just creating messaging? So I think that there's yeah. a lot of same and similarity between the two, but it comes down to the execution. And I also think even, for example, if you look at products versus B2B, partnerships is a huge part of that. If you can get partnerships yeah. with your B2B company and that helps with your flywheel and brings in sales and referrals, that's excellent. Same with if you have a consumer facing product, if you have referral programs, refer friends, if you can bring them in through word of mouth, a lot of these marketing foundations run across both of them, but it's just in terms of how you execute it. And I mean, definitely analytics is a big portion of that as well. Whether you're on the consumer side or the B2B side, you need to know your, your metrics. What's your site traffic? How many sales are you getting? What's your funnel shaping out to look like? How long are people in the consideration stage? How long does it take them before they sign up for your product? So, I mean, like there's so, I could go on, we should do it like a whole episode just on this, but there's yeah. there are so many similarities and differences. And I think as a, as a marketer, you need to just prioritize what is the first thing that you need to do. And especially from a consulting perspective, I look at my the whole marketing toolbox for my clients. And I say, what's number one priority? Let's focus on yeah. that versus trying to take everything from the marketing toolbox and just exhausting the team and business. So true. And having those clear goals is just so important so that you're not, what is it, random acts of marketing where mm. you're just throwing things at the window. If you have clear goals of what you're trying to mm -hmm. all collectively achieve, that Absolutely. helps so much. Yeah. What do you see most brands struggling with right now? Like what trends are you seeing with clients or non-clients? Just what questions are you getting asked the most where people are facing challenges at the moment? I think there's, there's two parts to this. There's a lot of noise online. And so yes. everyone is fighting for attention, whether you are yes. B2B or B2C. It's exhausting for marketing teams. And we know that also budgets have been cut. So it's how do you do more with less in a very crowded environment? And I think that's where the creativity element and really understanding who is your buyer, that's what helps specific brands break through. There's a lot of companies even right now that you'll hear about, they had investor funding, they had tons of money, they were overspending, their burn rate was really high yeah. on a monthly basis and they have filed for bankruptcy. The current environment, even with a lot of D2C brands, is you're seeing a lot of them filing for bankruptcy 
It's because yeah. their burn rate was really high. They were spending too much. They were scaling too quickly. And it's a very volatile environment right now across the board, especially with where the economy is going, budgets are being are cut. And so we need to be really smart as marketers with how much money we're spending and what we're fueling the money to do. It's you can throw money at ads all you want, but if the content's not resonating, if the message isn't solutions focused and really nailing the problem set for the consumer or the buyer, you're spinning your wheels. And I often see that that's what's happening. So a lot of partners that I work with and with a lot of businesses is they say, well, you know, we did advertising and we wasted money and it didn't work. And so then we do an audit to say, why did you do the advertising? What was the end result? How much money did you spend? What was the content? And and help them to understand why things work and why they don't work. I feel like regardless of whenever I'm working with clients, I always start with an audit because I need that context and I need the quantitative and the qualitative insights to be able to help them understand where they've missed the mark when it comes to their marketing. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity right now, but I think breaking through the noise in a very creative way and finding ways to effectively build relationships that aren't going to cost you a lot of money, but maybe have a mutual benefit to you and adjacent companies in your industry would be helpful. It's a great way to start. Yes. So B2B and B2C partnerships are really key. I feel like that's the way in this Mm -hmm. turbulent market, which it seems extreme the last few years, but there's always ups and downs, right? And the -hmm. economy and your pipeline but building strong relationships kind of carries you through those, those tough times when you have lows. Absolutely. Especially for any company that's a brand new startup and they're trying to enter the market and steal a share of the market. No one knows you exist. They don't know your brand. They don't really trust you. I also review the pricing strategy for a lot of the startups that I work with because I need to understand where are they losing people? You know, when you do a competitive audit and you look at what other people are charging, what's the value set that you provide and how much are you charging for that? If you're charging a lot more in your SaaS product and you're brand new, I mean, good luck. You know, you have to start with, with partnerships, with word of mouth, with PR, even sponsoring events, getting into the community. There's so much more that can be done versus just saying, well, you know, we did a set of LinkedIn ads and we didn't get any leads. (laughs) It's like, well, maybe we just need to get out into the community and that's, what's going to get you your leads. People need to know that your product works. Yes. How do you feel about podcasting to get yourself out there and your brand out there? Do you think it's a fit for all brands or is it really, it depends? I think you need to have something, an end goal either. If your company is going to have a podcast, there needs to be a reason for it. So if you Mm -hmm. are a SaaS company focused in FinTech, or if you're a legal tech company, absolutely makes sense. Get get on the podcast, get the experts from your yeah. company to start sharing and really own that thought leadership space because that will get a lot of trust. And it's if you can get people to listen to you for half an hour in depth about something, yeah. you can't do that in any other medium, right? Social media yeah. is like a minute maximum. I think TikTok is 10 minutes, the, the max, absolute max, you'll get someone to tune in. But so definitely, I think if you have something to say and it's very specific and tailored to a niche audience, Absolutely. But what I also caution is that it takes time to grow a podcast. So if you're looking for immediate sales, this is not it. This is a long tail strategy. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) Slow and steady. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some people, it depends right on your, your brand and how many followers you have. It could be a, Mm -hmm. a 
quicker uptick. Absolutely. But yeah, it definitely, what I see even from, I think, what is it? The Marketing School podcast has like a million downloads per day with Eric Sue and Neil Patel. And that's mm-hmm. huge, amazing. But it took them, I want to say like 10 years to build yeah. up to that. So it, it takes time for sure. Yeah. What do you see changing with your clients and marketing in general right now in the next few years? Because it feels like the past few years, everything is just sped up. But maybe it just feels like that because I'm old. <laughs> it just feels like time is like in warp speed right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what's changing is people are going back to the basics. Mm. I think there was a time when, you know, the pendulum that swings and we were at a place where budgets were massive and big scale campaigns and shock factor. And I'm seeing a lot of companies just going to the basics, like what actually works, what's moving the needle, really stripping out the fat when it comes to marketing and focusing on, is it your email? For example, are you working on the flows in your email program? And are you noticing that instead of spending money on ads, you actually have a decent email list and you're getting new signups and that's where you need to focus that or specifically on content. I'm seeing a lot of brands and businesses going back to the content route because again, being able to engage someone and get them to read an article or download a white paper where you can get their personal information and, and follow up is really important. I think we're stepping away from the very flashy things. And I also think a lot of brands are doing a better job of balancing the short-term tactics and direct growth wins versus with the yeah. long-term where I think for a while it was like shock value, shock value, yeah. get, get, you know, in front of everybody really like aggressive style marketing. And now everyone's like, wait a minute, that only got us so far. And then we actually lost a bunch of people and we lost a bunch of yeah. accounts. And now it's, we're going back to ensuring customer service is perfect, ensuring your different communication channels are supporting your message and bringing users into consideration. And we're focusing on long tail strategies as well as some little blips of short-term wins along the way. It's, it's really, I think everyone's in a stage where they're like, let's just create stability across our companies and marketing can help you do that. Or marketing can make things chaos, but it's really, it's really up to the founders to decide the path they want to take. How do you get founders on board with the long tail strategy or long-term marketing strategy? I feel like everyone, especially in a volatile market, right? Like they want answers and results now, like double the pipeline, double the MQLs, which I know everyone wants to get away from MQLs this year. It's all going more towards revenue, right? And and tracking end results, which I'm all for, but how do we... Like you have to show those, those quick wins, but how do you really get everyone on board, especially founders for those, those long-term plays? Yeah. I think there's, you need to have a, the right balance in your toolkit of specific things where you can say, Hey, maybe we're only going to spend 30% of our time or 40% of our time on those quick wins, because we know it's going to generate X amount of volume and revenue that's going to support your company. And then the remainder of the time, marketing and sales is going to work really closely together. And we're going to run workshops. We're going to build relationships. We're going to do partnerships. And these things, we know the long-term value of a customer that comes in through a marketing and sales initiative is actually X amount of money. And then we keep them based on the data we have, we keep them for an extra two years. They're happier. They're more likely to refer us to X number of customers themselves. It's really just taking founders down the story. And I think what happens is founders have so much on their mind. And the reason why they hire marketers or fractional CMOs is so that we can 
eliminate the noise for them. And we can say, hey, these are the different options. These are the different playbooks that we can run for you and your company at this time. You let us know what you feel comfortable with. And that's my approach. I don't like to be like, this is the way it has to be in marketing. There's so many different options. You need to figure out with this founder, what is their stress point and what are they what's painful for them right now. And then how do we alleviate that, but also show them like, Hey, you're not just trying to create a company that's going to survive the next quarter, but you also want to get into the next two years, or you want to get yourself to an exit or a sale. So we actually need to do these other things that are going to help run your business as well so that they don't lose sight of what's important. And also it, it depends very much on the size and scale of the company as well. If they're just getting started or if they're a 60, 70 person company or beyond. Exactly. You've read my mind for the follow-up question. How do you see this vary for like series A companies through well-established companies that you've worked with mm-hmm. or been a part of? How does that, mm-hmm. I mean, the long-term strategy and marketing in general, like how do you see that pivot or change amongst different sizes, stage companies? I find that companies that are, have been around longer, they are more used to rocky times because they've been around, they've seen it before, they've gotten through it. And there's still a lot of worry there from from the founder or the CEO or the owner side, but they've been through it. They've been through a recession before. They understand how they're going to make things work and trim the fat. It's when you're working with new founders that are just building something and they have so much riding on this company that they've put so much time and energy into that's the difference I find is the approach and how they run their business. And so I find you you need to be a bit more delicate with the new founders in the startup space Mm. and really focus on letting them know that the immediate needs are being alleviated and we're creating the right marketing strategies to get them to the next quarter because burn rate and runway are everything. Otherwise, like why even have the business? And I also see that a lot of companies are now not going for as much investor funding. So we're seeing a big trend overall where the pendulum has swung. People are having more respect for those bootstrapped founders that were actually able to be net positive and grow by having money and generating money versus getting that loan from investors, right? Or getting like losing and diluting their equity. So with my approach, I think I work with founders depending on what stage they're at. And what I'm seeing for the future is just a lot more going back to the basics of how to run a business and having less dependency on external funding. Not to say like, I mean, like there's still a lot happening in the venture space, but it's getting founders to think differently. Like how do we actually spend a dollar and get three back? That's the difference. Yeah. It's funny. I think I'm seeing a theme in in what you're saying and two sides, right. Of breaking through the noise externally. Our job as marketers is to do that to get in front of our prospects. Right. And then internally with our founders, it's breaking through all the noise and clearly providing the options of the different strategies and directions we can go and focusing Mm -hmm. on that. So I wonder if that's our, our key job and responsibility as marketers is to clear out the noise and focus on these internally and externally. Oh, for sure. And I think even if you, if you have a team as a marketer, you need to clear the noise for your team as much as possible so that they know what they're focusing on, because there's nothing worse than being in an environment or a startup environment where it's chaos at the top and it trickles down to the executors. And then the executors are like, we don't know if we're writing an email or if we should do the blog post or if we're doing ads. Really, it's our job as as senior marketers to say, this is what we're experimenting and testing with for the next month. This is the focus. It may change. We need to be agile just to see what happens, but 
clear the path. Absolutely. Clear the path. I love that. I think I might write that on like my whiteboard, clear the path <laughs> as the new mantra for the end of the year. Let's kick off 2024 strong. Mm-hmm. So you shared a ton of insight from your show, from your experience, from your consulting. If you could, from everything you've learned from your show so far, from your amazing guests and from your own experience working with all of these killer brands, what is one piece of advice you would share with other women in B2B marketing right now? Oh man, there's so much that I would I say, but I think, I think if it's one thing specifically, it's to just do whatever you, you want, what you're thinking about, what you want to try, what you want to experiment, don't hesitate and just do it. It's kind of like how Mel Robbins has the five second rule. Yes, I think the minute yes. you let yourself stew in it for too long, you talk yourself out of doing things. And I think as women, we need to give ourselves less time to talk ourselves Mm. out of it. So if you have an idea or if you want to pitch something to the founders or you want to start a business or you want to experiment, you want to start a podcast, just start it and don't overthink it. Don't try to make it perfect. Obviously have standards for what you're doing, but just do it and don't let yourself, don't let the fear creep in to be like, Oh, I shouldn't do that. Or no, you know, like I'm, I'm not ready. Sure. You are, you, you'll be ready as you learn and you grow. And if you don't try things, then you'll never grow. And so that's my advice. Start five second rule, but five second rule with your career. I love that. I love that applying the Mel. I love Mel Robbins. I love applying that to just (laughs) getting started. She's another podcast everyone should listen to for sure. She's Mm -hmm, awesome. So it feels like don't ruminate, iterate. (laughs) So like, don't like stress about things so much. It's like, just get it out there because you can always iterate. You can always make it better and get it going. What's that the done or perfect is the enemy of done or something like that where perfection is. And if you think about it too, like the more you wait for perfection, the more you'll be standing in the same place you're at. So if you want to be somewhere different in a year from now, you got to start something. And it's, you know, like your big Mm -hmm. idea or what you're going to get to in a year from now is going to look completely different than what you have now. Like think about your podcast, what you're doing now in a year from now can look completely different. But if you don't actually start and you don't have these conversations and these interviews, who knows where you'll be? You'll probably end up in the same space. So we have to constantly like, we have to try, we have to put ourselves out there and also take breaks is another thing too. I would add, take breaks when you need Mm. them. Love that. So move, but pause and take breaks too. <laughs> Absolutely. We need time to reflect. We're not a machine. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's because it's, it's true. You have to make big moves, but then pause and reflect and make another big move. But yeah, you're yeah. right. It's like, what is it? It's the life is about the journey. It's not the finish line or something. There's so many different phrases here. But yeah, you <laughs> have to... Yeah. <laughs> I need a big whiteboard for all of these that we're dropping. But yeah, amazing. I love this. Thank you for ending on such a, a high note and a good reminder for the day to kick everyone off with. So thank you so much, Rochelle. It's been great having you. Such a great conversation. I love having these elevated conversations with brilliant women like yourself. And you just ask so many great questions. And yeah, I, I hope that the listeners have a great time. And I love your podcast. So I'm so honored Thank to be you. on. Thank you. Thank you. And likewise, again, everyone check out Rochelle's show. She's so interesting. Or is it she's interesting, not she's so interesting. Yeah. She, she's I feel interesting. like I channeled that that's so Raven and I combined <laughs> the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, she's interesting. She's and you interesting. Can find us on Instagram so and, you know, everywhere. She's interesting podcast. 
Love it. Thank you, Rochelle, for joining us. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Definitely check out Rochelle on LinkedIn, on Instagram, and check out her podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, wherever you're listening to this now. Like this episode, share with a friend, review, rate. It helps us for sure spread the word and get in front of more people, more women, elevate more women for everyone. So thanks, everyone, for listening. 